This episode of Pod Cemetery is brought to you by Knox Real Estate. Knox Real Estate. Don't get swindled by robbers and ghosts. Choose Knock. Hello, my name is Chris. My name is Kelsey. And this is Pod Cemetery, where we dissect horror movies like the rotting corpses that they are. And it's a Nosferatu week on Pod Cemetery, celebrating the 100th anniversary of the premiere of 1922's Nosferatu, which will be our classic movie we'll watch, and a sort of making of fictionalized account from 2000's Shadow of the Vampire. So let's get right into Nosferatu, a symphony of horror. From 1922, directed by F.W. Murnau, written by Henrik Galeen, and based on the novel Dracula by Bram Stoker, which I think it has to be credited as, starring Max Schreck, Gustav von Wagenheim, Greta Schroeder, and Alexander Granach. Famously, Murnau went to Stoker's widow and was like, hey, we want to make a movie off of Dracula. She's like, fuck no. And he's like, well, Do we know why? fine. I, I don't know. I'm sure. There's going to be a lot of details. This movie's been around for 100 years. It is very significant in cinema. And there's going to be a lot of information that we don't know. We did not spend weeks studying all the details and the history and everything like that. All of that stuff is interesting, and we'll talk about some of it. But really, we're here for the actual content. But she said no. And Murnau's like, fine. Then I won't make a Dracula movie. My character is called Count Orlok, and our movie's name is Nosferatu. And famously, she sued after the movie came out and won. And all prints of the film were supposedly destroyed. Now, of course, we know that that's not the case. There have been several prints that have been discovered, mainly because it had already been distributed and translated worldwide. As a matter of fact, when it first came to America and they translated all the title cards, they changed all the names back to Dracula characters. <laughs> so he was just called Dracula. <laughs> and Hutter was called Harker. Like, it's very obvious. It's, that's the interesting thing. If you If you break down the plot of Nosferatu... It's the plot of Dracula. It is, unassailably. But if you compare everything to the book, put it to you this way, uh, Cinemassacre did a comparison of 12 famous Dracula films that are actually going for what the book is going for. They analyzed all the big plot beats and characters and everything like that. To, I think we mentioned this when we did Bram Stoker's Dracula. Bram Stoker's Dracula was in like second place with like 56 some odd plot points that it meets of the books. Just behind, there's a version from the 70s that the BBC did. But they added a bunch of extra stuff that wasn't in the book. This, out of all 12, was rated the absolute lowest because there is so much shit that's missing. Now, is it enough changes to make it legally distinct? 
Probably not. <laughs> but it is not the whole Dracula story, and there are unique elements to it. But every single thing that happens, you can point to, oh, look, that, and oh, look, that, and oh, look, that. Hutter, Harker, I mean, come on. <laughs> <laughs> Buying property, you know, like how the story all starts, all of that is still the case. So, can you tell us what is Nosferatu about? Count Orlock, basically Dracula, is looking to buy a home in a city uh, ostensibly to get more kills, I guess. I guess, yeah. He has a person who like works for him in the city already, uh, who's helping him make all these arrangements, and that guy sends Hutter... A real estate agent, basically, uh-huh. uh, to sell him the home. And while he does so, Orlock finds out about his wife, and he's like, I want your wife. And it's a good thing I was already planning on moving across the street from yeah. you. <laughs> and then he does that, so, yeah. Yeah, I mean, you can see how, I mean, that's kind of the story of Dracula. <laughs> it's very, very simple, but yeah. Yeah. Uh-huh. Uh, now, the movie is available Basically everywhere, for free, including on YouTube. It is in the public domain. There are newer restorations that you might have to pay for. Some of the paid versions may be better quality, but you'll get the story. But basically, almost every streamer has a version of this playing on their service. Uh, you can rent it for 3 to $5 and buy it, usually for 9 to 10 The version we watched was a semi-newer restoration by the BFI. It has the James Bernard score uh, performed by the Philharmonic of Prague. It was recently refreshed in like 2015 or something like that. So that's the version that we watched. It has the different colors back in it. A lot of the older found reels were just straight black and white. But as many of you, I'm sure, know, they would tint the film different colors to indicate are you indoors? Is there a light source? Is it nighttime? And this has that restored. Uh, the title cards are a little bit weird to read. The font they picked was kind of weird. But it is a brilliant picture. Like, the the image quality is fantastic. Yes, very clear. Uh, but whichever version you want to watch, by all means, watch it. Should people watch it, though, Kelsey? Absolutely. Yeah! Uh, I mean, it's so essential it's, it's not only essential to horror, it's essential to cinema in general. Yes. Like, it was, it is responsible for sort of making horror what it is in in cinema in many ways. It kickstarted a lot of things. Is it the first horror movie? No, it's not the first horror movie. Uh, what did we watch from, like, 1919, early on, like our first year of the show? I think it was nineteen. Phantom Carriage, or Phantom I think Carriage, was what yeah. it was, right? Yeah, like so, like horror movies existed back then, but this is like the quintessential silent era horror movie. Mm -hmm. So yeah, you gotta watch it, and it is surprisingly compelling for a silent film. Yes, it's very good. Unfortunately, no clips from us because it is a silent film. You're not <laughs> hearing anything. So we'll just, we're just going to have to talk about it. And I'll try to keep track of the title cards along the way so I can tell you what it is that they're saying. You can take our advice or leave it. When we get back, we will talk about the 100-year-old Nosferatu. Hi there, I'm Ben Mankiewicz. Welcome to Silent Sunday Night on TCM. We're going to start with one of the creepiest and most influential horror films ever made. 
Prompt, German director F.W. Murnau in 1922, Nosferatu. This is what is believed to be the big screen's first depiction of Dracula. When released in 1922, Nosferatu was moderately well-received, but its stock has soared considerably in the nearly 100 years since then. During the 1970s, German director Werner Herzog, who Francois Truffaut once called the most important film director alive, described Nosferatu as, quote, the greatest film to ever come out of Germany. You're probably vaguely familiar with the story. A young man goes to the castle of a strange nobleman to sell him a piece of property. The nobleman turns out to be a vampire. Bad break there. Blood is sucked. Necks are bit. For generations, horror fans have been obsessed with this film, as they should be. It is a memorably visual piece of storytelling and a forefather to 100 years of cinematic horror. From F.W. Murnau in 1922, here it is, Nosferatu. All right, Kelsey, get us started. How does Nosferatu begin? The title card explaining that there has been a plague, and it is 1838, Visburg. Yes. Germany, right? Yeah, uh-huh. Oh, it's explaining the quote-unquote plague. So it's going to tell us the story of what happened, because it's not an actual plague. It's Nosferatu. It's Count Orlock. Yeah. Yeah. But, I mean, it's not exactly explicit, because people are dying all the time. And in a lot of ways, this is sort of... You know, a metaphor for a plague and who's responsible for it and chasing at like what happens with knock later. Uh, and plus, this was filmed in what, 1921? The flu epidemic had just been going on prior to this. Mm-hmm. Like there is definitely a connection to disease. Yes. It is a book that we're reading here, I suppose, written by, do you know? Because it has a point of view. The point of view is of a neighbor from Hutter. Yeah, that's what I thought. It's like his friend or something. Yeah, it's like a neighbor Uh, saw this happen. And the book, this book about the plague, starts off, Nosferatu, does this word not sound like the midnight call of the bird of death? Do not utter it, or the images of life will fade into pale shadows, and ghostly dreams will rise from your heart and feed on your blood. Long have I pondered on the beginning and ending of the great plague in my hometown of Visborg. This is the story. In Visborg lived a man called Hutter and his young wife, Ellen. Tell us about Hutter and Ellen, Kelsey. They are a happy young couple. No children yet, just, I think, just starting out in life. Yeah. Uh, She is playing with a cat. It's so bizarre. It is very bizarre, but this cat is actually like playing with it, whereas the one in the in Shadow of the Vampire is all drugged up, so it doesn't play with yeah, it. Yeah, uh-huh. but that's because the Shadow of the Vampire is making a point about drugs. Anyway, Hutter gives Ellen some flowers, and she's really sad <laughs> she's because like super he had to kill it. the flowers. <laughs> Why did you kill her. them? The lovely flowers. And she's like cradling them. And he's like, okay, lady. (laughs) (laughs) Yes, but it's just the idea of life and death. They represent life. Yes. So there's this guy, Nock, who is this estate agent who there's all these rumors about him. And he looks crazy because he is crazy. And we have no idea how, but somehow he is connected to Count Orlok and like works for him. I think he's just fucking greedy. He's kind of like the Tom Waits from Bram Stoker's Dracula, uh, Renfield, who just goes crazy and 
gets enamored by the power of Dracula, in this case, Count Orlock, and just loses his mind and calls him master. And I don't think really ever has much, in this movie, none at all, interaction with him. Uh, in in Bram Stoker's Dracula, very little interaction with him. But it's just to show the effect that the vampire has on the mind. He receives this ridiculous letter from Count Orlock, which is absolutely ridiculous. Just a bunch of random symbols on it. Runes! Runes! (laughs) Which is apparently how Orlock writes. And Nock can understand it. Yes. And he gets all greedy. He's like, oh my god, this rich Count. He's going to come here. We need to sell him a property. How about... That one right out the window across the street from you, Hutter. You're going to go to Transylvania, right? Yes. And you are going to sell him this property, and it's going to mean a lot of money for us. A lot of money for you, but it will all cost you some blood. Yes. And Hutter laughs. Hutter does a lot of laughing in this movie. Everything sounds ridiculous to Hutter. Yeah, uh uh-huh. Ha, 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 you old man. Blood, sweat, and tears, eh? It's like Nock knows what's going to happen. He doesn't care what's going to happen to Hutter. No. And just wants Orlok's money. Yes. Mm-hmm. And then maybe he has that influence about him, too. <laughs> that he'll do whatever Orlok says. And Hutter's wife is beside herself. She does not want him to go. He just shows up and is like, I'm going far away to the land of robbers and ghosts. And she's like, what? Well, bye. And he just leaves. Well, he leaves her with his rich friend and his wife. Which doesn't really matter. Just that there's somebody watching over her because she's going to go through some shit later on. Yes. But they are... Basically the Lucy character, but like nothing happens. Nothing with happens them. with them in relation to Orlock, no. Yeah. Yeah, she's Ellen is basically Mina. I didn't realize that the Carpathian Mountains were in Transylvania and that's where Orlock lives. I guess. Yeah. If you remember the last time we talked about Carpathia, Carpathia. it was in Ghostbusters 2. Yeah. yeah. So I guess that's where vampires come from too. They pass through Austria, the Czech Republic, Poland, Slovakia, Hungary, Ukraine, Romania, and Serbia. And Transylvania is part of Romania. Ah, yes. So Hutter goes, he's traveling, long travel distance. Uh Uh-huh. And he stops in at an inn for some food, and he's like, I must have food. And he's all jolly, because he's so jolly. Must have food, I am on the way to Count Orlok's. And the people are like, whoa, you can't go nowhere, buddy. There is a werewolf on the loose. Have you seen Mel Brooks' Dracula Dead and Loving It? Yes, I have. Okay, so there is this moment where he shows up and he's like, I am scheduled to meet with Count Dracula. Yes, I'm scheduled to meet Count Dracula. (gasps) Dracula! 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 And one random guy's like, scheduled? (laughs) This is all I think about whenever I see any of these movies and the guy shows up to the local villagers and is like, I'm supposed to meet with Count Orlock. (laughs) But this 
werewolf is nothing but a hyena. It's, it's just a fucking hyena, and it looks ridiculous. It is so ridiculous. I was like, are we supposed to be scared right now? What's the happening? The thing about hyenas is they look kind of sympathetic. Their eyes are a little downturned. <laughs> like, it doesn't look, I, I know hyenas can be vicious, but it doesn't look vicious at all. Yeah, and it's just like wandering around outside. Uh-huh. I'm like, am I supposed to be Minding scared? its own business. So Hunter's like, oh, you crazy people. Fine, fine, fine. I'll stay the night. This is like the first notion of expressionism that we get. And we see this giant ass bed. Yeah, it's weird. But, well, I thought it was weird at the time. And then I realized everything from there on out became expressionistic. And I realized... Ah, it's when he gets to the land of ghosts and robbers, as he says. (laughs) That's when it becomes expressionistic. Because that's when it goes into the realm of the uncanny and the unknown. Yeah, and if you remember, I think the last time we really watched anything like this was Cabinet of Dr. Caligari, right? Yes. Cabinet of Dr. Caligari is, is much more so. Yes. Everything's at odd angles and drastically weird. This not so much. Yes, this seems, when watching The Cabinet of Dr. Caligari, one might be questioning, did you just run out of money? Whereas in this movie, it's an obvious choice. Yeah. Because it does change, and it does feel out of place. Uh The only other thing at this point that has felt out of place is the character of Nock, and he is definitely supposed to. And and so when this first happens, I, I pointed out to Chris, I was like, what the fuck is up with that bed? And then I realized this is where the expressionism comes in. And that's because we're now in Dracula's realm. Yes, And all the people there know it, and they're concerned for our man Hutter, so they leave in his room a book, which he finds, called Of Vampires, Monstrous Ghosts, Sorcery, and the Seven Deadly Sins, which is going to teach him everything he knows in order to protect himself while he's in this very weird place. And he's like, okay, this is weird, but he looks through it, and this is an awesome description. I'm sorry, I have to read this. It says, From the seed of Belial came forth the vampire Nosferatu, which liveth and feedeth on the blood of mankind, and unredeemed maketh his abode in the frightful caves, graves, and coffins, filled with accursed earth from the fields of the Black Death. Another reference to disease. And he just goes, Ah, this is silly. And he just tosses it. He's going to do that twice. Literally throws it on the ground. Throw it on the ground. (laughs) Yes, when he wakes up in the morning, he's going to find it again. And then laugh and (laughs) just chuck it at the ground. (laughs) I threw it on the ground. (laughs) And then he goes traveling again and it takes all day. But then they get to this pass and the people that have been taking him are like, you're going to walk for the rest of the way. Pay what you want. Yeah, I don't care what you pay. This place is haunted. We don't go any further. So he's like, all right, fine. And he laughs and he leaves. And he is approached by a creepy ass driver. And this is when the movie finally starts to get pretty damn creepy. And I don't care if you don't like silent movies. Max Shrek does an outstanding job. Yeah, he's fantastic. Uh, So for those of you that don't know, the carriage driver is Dracula slash Orlok, just semi-disguised and makes no comment on it, just like when we watch Bram Stoker's. 
Oh, so it is him in Bram Stoker as well? Yes, yeah. Uh-huh. Oh. I think we talked about that, actually. Is that in the book? Pretty sure, yeah. Cool. But it's funny because when he gets in, like, the carriage will move super fast. Oh, yeah, like it's a Benny Hill scene. And and that, to really fuck with you, a, a couple of shots or at least one shot is filmed in negative. So, like, all the colors are reversed. Interesting, I think. But, yeah, you look and you see Orlok's eyes and he has one of those feathers that, like, he's Bartholomew Cubbins or something. Well, I love when Hutter gets out of the carriage and, like, gives him this look like... Because, you know, they're they're communicating that that was a very strange ride. Yeah. I thought uh-huh. that was really good. And when he gets inside, Orlok's pissed. It's past midnight. You've kept me up way too long. My <laughs> servants are asleep. Yeah. So funny. But then he's like, I also sleep all day. Which is hilarious because it's Orlok that drove him there. <laughs> yes. Yes. So they're having dinner together. What a meal. Such a banquet. And he's super stoked Hutter is. And he's like <laughs> laughing and jovial. And uh, Orlok is all serious and looking at the papers. But as he's doing so, because he's not paying attention, he will cut himself. Hutter will. Yeah, he gets... Uh scared by the clock which has a little like dancing skeleton on top of it which is a little bit interesting it is midnight it chimes midnight and yes he cuts his thumb and orlok's like oh my god your precious blood and lunges at him and the dude's like jesus christ get the hell away from me (laughs) so the next morning he'll be like oh shit what's on my neck it looks like two mosquitoes have bit me right next to each other on my neck. How oh, weird. yeah. He ends up writing a letter to Ellen saying as much, oh, the mosquitoes have been bothering me. <laughs> but he doesn't die. No. So, so you know, he doesn't create any new vampires. He just kills people, right? By draining their blood. That's all that happens. There's no proliferation. But Hutter survives. It's almost like... Orlok is practicing restraint. Yes. Mm-hmm. And he still wants that property. He doesn't want the guy to just show up, he kills him, and then now what? <laughs> you know? But so, yeah, so they're doing all this paperwork stuff, and as they are, whoops, out pops Hutter's wife's portrait. It's Ellen. Yeah. Orlok is like, what a beautiful neck your wife has. Isn't that weird? Yes. Of course it is. It's supposed to be. But I will definitely buy your house now. And at this point, we've also probably noticed everything is bigger. Like we said, expressionism. The table is huge. The chairs are huge. Everything about Orlock is overly big. His hat is enormous. His coat is too big. His hands and nails are too long. His teeth are too big. Like everything is larger. Yeah. So that night, Hutter will wake up and be scared of something, and he goes and looks down the hallway, and there's just this great shot of Orlok just staring at him. Yes. Down the hallway. Yes. At that moment, Ellen will wake up and shout out, Hutter! Yeah. very frightened. And it disturbs the people that are taking care of her. Who, the dude is smoking out of this enormous ass pipe. It's hilarious. It is... Hilarious. It's very steampunk. 
Sure, yeah. Also, Nock has started to go insane. Somewhere around here before Orlock gets there, he starts going crazy and he's like institutionalized or something. So before Hutter can even get home, he's already in an asylum or well, something. I think there's like a murder and they blame him for it. I think he might have done it. <laughs> <laughs> but he reads a report. So just like Renfield, he's been institutionalized. There's a man sweeping and he steals like a newspaper or a report or something from him. And it says something about the plague. And he smiles. He is happy. Like, oh, master. You know, even well, though that's... this plague has nothing to do with Orlock. Oh, I thought it was. I thought that's when he comes. He's still on the boat. I thought that was way after, later, when he comes. So, from where he he gets on the boat, there is a plague. And they're searching all these boats that come from this location. And that's why they're talking about this coming plague or whatever. And sure enough, it is the location that Orlok is coming from. Well... Before they they leave, there's some there's some magnificent shadow play, and we only see a snippet of it here, and then it continues throughout the rest of the film, and I just think it is wonderful. You can do so much terrifying stuff with just a shadow. Yes. And before he leaves, Hutter will find Orlock in his coffin sleeping, and he'll tear off the top, and Orlock will just stare straight ahead because he sleeps the sleep of death during uh -huh. the day. And it's such a great scene. But then Hutter gets locked in his room, but from his room, he can see that Orlock, Orlock oh my magics God. himself away. And it's, it's super, so funny. super cool. He's just he's just carrying his coffin underneath his arm and just walking as if it weighs nothing, right? And he then he sets up this platform, puts the coffin on top of it, gets in, and then it just drives itself with the horses. Yeah, and all these like it closes itself and uh -huh. the things pop up on top of each other and you know, all they did was, you they know, just, not take a picture yes, while they were doing uh -huh. it. Not There's going to be another know. segment kind of famously when he comes up from the bowels of the ship where the there's like a, a sheet over the top of it and it pulls back on its own. And it's just stop motion is all it is. Yes. And then he comes out, which but is it's, pretty great. It's really wonderful. Mm -hmm. But Hutter is freaking out because Ellen, he knows that Orlock is after yes. Ellen and now he's trapped. So he's what can he do? He's shouting, Ellen, Ellen. He escapes out the window. <laughs> Classic tearing up his sheets, yeah. tying them together, climbs down and then plummets to his doom. Where they say he <laughs> fell off a mountain. Yep. <laughs> That's their explanation for what happened to yep. him. But while he's getting taken care of in the hospital, Orlock is being sent off to Visberg with coffins filled with earth. Yes. Because the earth, he must have it, the earth that he was buried in. Yeah. That's where he gets his power from. Yeah, here it is. As Nosferatu drew near, his shadow already seemed to have spread over Nock, the estate agent. So yeah, it's happening without him even uh, being involved or meeting him directly. We get this weird scene with, like, this instructor with his kids, it's like, random. teaching them about Venus flytraps. So I think, think, think this is supposed to be Van Helsing, but he has nothing to do with the story. No. And he talks about a Venus flytrap eating a fly and sucking its life out of it like it's a vampire. Like a vampire. But, like. That's how is it. that? But how is that not like any other thing that eats living things? Like, yeah, 
I don't know. It's completely unnecessary and random and doesn't. It's just the guy who's writing this story is just like, oh, I once knew a professor. (laughs) Anyway, moving on. (laughs) But yeah, so Nock is going crazy and he's just like, blood is life and and kills somebody, I'm pretty sure. And that's when he gets put into the asylum and he's just absolutely nuts. And he finds out that Orlock is on his way, like Chris said, and he's very, very excited. And yeah. everybody's just like, okay, crazy uh-huh. pants. And we get some really cool shots of the ship. Did you find out if they really did have to make it on the grounds? I did not. Okay. No, sorry. In the new one, in Shadow of the Vampire, they claim that they had to make the boat on land because Because, max refused to go on the boat yes exactly but there's some excellent shots of him creeping around on the boat yeah the black sails are an excellent touch the classic shot of him sitting straight up is really well done freaking out one of the crewmates and basically what's going to happen here while he's on this ship is he's going to kill everyone on board one by one and then go back below deck like he's the T-Rex from Lost World Jurassic Park 2. <laughs> That's all I could think of. That's that that moment in Jurassic Park was a reference to Nosferatu, I guess. <laughs> but so the ship is going to f- land and like everyone's dead or missing entirely. I think the captain or the first mate or whatever is still present but i think he's dead and everyone else has been disposed of somehow and everybody's like what could have happened and this is when they think it's the plague uh-huh and that is when knock is gonna be like the master is near he's yeah very very excited everyone's gonna freak out about knock for some reason being the one that started the plague in visborg because people are gonna start to die in the middle of the night at this storage facility on the pier or whatever He's going to wake up, Nosferatu is, and he's just going to, again, carry his coffin under his arm through the town, (laughs) just alone. But everything's all shut up because everyone's afraid of this plague. And Well, they make this big proclamation the next day about how there's all these dead people, don't let your kids out, don't go outside. Yeah. You know, very much like what we're doing today, and yet people are like, there's nothing wrong with going <laughs> outside. Anyway, but so, yeah, Nock is like the scapegoat for something. Something happens, and they assume it's him because he's crazy, and he escaped from the mental institution. Yeah, and so then they're chasing after him, and it's weird, just like in the middle of the movie, there's just this whole chase sequence. It's not even the middle. It's like an hour or something like that into the movie. He runs away from everyone and everyone chases after him and that's it. Like nothing comes of it. Well, isn't he killed? Does he fall off the cliff? Is that what happens? <laughs> they, they just grab a random scarecrow. Yes. I thought that was <laughs> knock. And I was like, Jesus, they destroyed him on TV, like in a movie in 1922. And then no, later knock is still totally alive. And he's like the master. Right. But th- that was just a fucking scarecrow, which was so weird. But yeah, knock, uh, as far as I'm aware, I think he just gets away and we never see him again. Hmm. No, Maybe I'm wrong. I know we see him because he says the master, but anyway. Meanwhile, Ellen finds out she's freaking out and learns about Nosferatu, and she and it says in the book that she finds 
that a woman without sin must offer herself. Yeah, freely. Freely, so that he will become distracted, forget himself, and die. Yeah, the idea is, is that she needs to let him drink her blood, and he will be a pure a, woman, is what A woman it says, without right? sin. Yeah, and so he is going to be just feast on her because he wouldn't be able to help himself, and he won't be able to think of anything else, and time will pass, and eventually he'll be stuck in the sun. So she's going to have to sacrifice herself, which is basically what happens. Yeah. Hutter tries to make his way back in time, but it doesn't matter. She's already resolved to stopping Orlock herself. And then she goes to him or he comes to her. I can't remember which. He feasts on her. Well, you uh, you've skipped some of the incredible shadow play. There's more of him like going up the stairs and oh, his yeah, long fingernails. Uh-huh. And yeah, grabbing her heart. Grabbing her heart. It's- she grabs her titty a lot. <laughs> well, Willem Dafoe will do plenty of that in the remake. Oh, yeah. Uh-huh. Um, and, and then the, the shadow ending- cops a feel. <laughs> yeah, but the ending is just so good. Like him walking away, like... There's a part where he walks away from a window and he does such an excellent job. He's Max Shrek was a great actor. And at the end, the way he dies is so good. His over melodramatic death is fantastic. And the way that they had him disappear on screen was great. Yeah. And then Ellen dies at the end. Yeah. And um, so does Orlock, obviously. We should point out that this is where the idea that sunlight is deadly to vampires comes from. Uh, not from the book. Not from the book, no. Um, you'll, I mean, go back to Bram Stoker's Dracula, and he's just walking around town in the daytime. That's right. Uh, basically, what it does is it diminishes their powers. They are empowered by the night, and they sleep during the day, but they can go out during the day. This is... During the day, he sleeps like it's death, and if he's ever caught in sunlight, he dies. That had never happened to a vampire before this movie. Mm. So it does create new vampire lore that was then folded into Dracula. Mm, Interesting. But it's very good. Yeah, we didn't mention there was a parade of caskets through the streets of people that died from the plague. Oh, right, yeah. Yeah, Nock does get captured again. They find him. And then he, he he realizes, oh, God, the master is dead. And then what's his point in living anymore, right? And so the last words of the film are, and the miracle shall be told in truth. At that very hour, the great pestilence ceased and the shadow of the bird of death vanished as if overcome by the victorious rays of the living sun. Very dramatic, <laughs> which is great. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, yeah, there's really not much to talk about here other than what we've already mentioned. It's a really simple story. And the movie's kind of long-ish, I guess. It's like an hour and 40-something minutes. But a lot of that is just title cards being played on screen. (laughs) Wonderful filmmaking, really. And I wonder what would have happened if he had gotten the rights. I wonder what would have happened if every copy really was destroyed, which it wasn't, obviously. So I'm glad it still exists. I'm glad it exists. But he shouldn't have made it. It was her prerogative to say no. Mm-hmm. And it's kind of fucked that he's like, whatever, I'll just change the names. Yeah. And then she's like, um, this is very obviously <laughs> just my husband's story. Mm-hmm. Like, And yes, it was very, very obviously. But like I said, there are differences. In the original story, it takes two men to kill him. He gets stabbed with a knife in his chest and his throat is slit, which is basically what happens in 
Bram Stoker's Dracula, the Coppola one that we watched. But in this, he's killed by sunlight. And then there's a bunch of characters and a bunch of plot lines that are just never addressed. That said, you look at it, it's very obviously Dracula. Mm -hmm. Uh, Well made and Max Shrek is incredible. Of course, there are rumors, which is where our next movie comes into play, that the reason Max Shrek was so good is that he was really a vampire and Max Shrek was a pseudonym. Uh, Of course, that is untrue. Max Shrek was uh, an actor. Mm -hmm. He was in things before that. He was in things after it. Mm -hmm. Like, he was just an actor. (laughs) But he looked incredible. And one big jump between these two movies is that this Orlock occasionally, especially with his wide, huge eyes and sort of rat look that he has to him, with his teeth and the, the hair from his eyebrows and stuff like that, like it just looks very, you know, feral almost. He does look a little occasionally comedic, but he is played 100% straight versus when we get to Shadow of the Vampire where Willem Dafoe looks fucking incredible, but is played comedically. And so it's like a reversal, interestingly there. So, Kelsey, what do you think... Nosferatu has on Rotten Tomatoes. I'm going to guess it's 100. It's 97. Okay. One of the silent era's most influential masterpieces, Nosferatu's eerie gothic feel and a chilling performance from Max Schreck as the vampire set the template for the horror films that followed. Oh, one of the reasons they thought it was a pseudonym is that Schreck apparently means like terror or something like that. So it's like, it's obviously a fake name. (laughs) (laughs) Of course, uh, no Metacritic, no cinema score. Do you think 97 is overrated or underrated? Maybe just slightly overrated. I mean, it's overrated because we are talking about Rotten Tomatoes here. This isn't an average review score. 97% of people that rated it liked it. Right. That's what that means. Of course that number is going to be high. Right. But is it 97 good? I was going to give it like a 93. I probably would give it like low 90s. There are problems with it. Can get a little boring sometimes, but it is remarkable just how otherwise enrapturing it is and engaging. Once Shrek is on screen, it's fantastic. Yeah. But up until that point, you're just like, come on. And every time that he's not on screen, you're like, come on. (laughs) You know, the rest of it is kind of like, meh. But there's so much, there's so much quality uh, filmmaking going on. And he was really tall too, right? So he was like over six foot tall. He was like six one or something like that. And the coat that he was wearing, this like, Thick black coat with these sharp shoulders gave him this incredible silhouette. Mm-hmm. A silhouette that, I mean, otherwise I really associate with like a, it's all like Victorian, right? Like it's uh, Brotherhood of the Wolf or Bloodborne. It has like that sort of almost like an hourglass shape, but in a men's coat. And his long fingers and nails, just the way he would pose himself was just very evocative. And that's the type of acting that was done back then. Couldn't necessarily get away with that just being acting. Like, you couldn't take Max Shrek out of time 
and expect him to perform well in a talkie. <laughs> maybe he did, maybe he didn't. But this is his performance here is specific to like the silent film era and it capitalizes on everything that's great about silent films, I think. Yes. It does a really good job. I'll give it a 92. Because there are some things that I'm just like, eh, meh. And it's kind of shitty what they did to Bram Stoker and his estate and his wife. Yes. So let's talk about our modern film, which is a sort of fictionalized behind-the-scenes account of the making of Nosferatu, which is why we adjusted our standards a little bit. We said early on in the show, back when we started, that if we were doing a double feature, we might fudge the numbers a little bit. But generally, we go one movie that's older than 20 years and another that's younger than 20 years. This is just slightly older, but there's no way I was going to do Nosferatu without Shadow of the Vampire. I'm sorry, Kelsey, but I insisted. <laughs> no, it's fine. It's only off by like a year or two anyway. Two years. It's 2000's Shadow of the Vampire, directed by E. Elias Merhiga. I don't know how you pronounce that. Written by Stephen Katz and starring John Malkovich, Willem Dafoe, Udo Kier, Eddie Izzard, Carrie Elwes, and Catherine McCormick. We have seen a couple of these characters on the show already, but in particular, the last time we saw Willem Dafoe was in The Hunger. That was his first, like, big movie role, which is a vampire movie. What does he play? Who is he in The Hunger? He's like a street punk. He wears a leather jacket and he's got the hair. How funny. And then... Carrie Elwes. Do you remember the last time we saw Carrie Elwes on the show? I didn't know we had. He's Arthur Holmwood, the rich guy from Dracula, Bram Stoker's Dracula. Oh, right, right, right. <laughs> I, did, I thought of that when we watched this. I was like, oh, so he's in two Dracula movies. Okay. Right. If you remember, in addition to Harker, who was Mina's like husband or betrothed or whatever, there are three people that are really into Lucy. Right? There's the Doctor... Dr. Jack Seward, there's the rich dude, Lord Arthur Holmwood, and then there's the, like, Texan, the American cowboy type, Quincy Morris. He is Arthur Holmwood. And Quincy ends up dying, and it's this whole thing. So, when you take out all these characters, there's so much you lose about the Dracula story. But anyway, <laughs> we're just talking about Nosferatu here. What is Shadow of the Vampire about, Kelsey? The making of Nosferatu, but in a fantasy setting where Max Shrek is a vampire? He really is a vampire. Maybe? Yes, he is. Yeah, no, he is. <laughs> I think the, the movie is eventually pretty explicit about what they're saying the true story is, and that is that Max Shrek was, in fact, a vampire. Yes. The movie is available... Fucking nowhere. Good luck. <laughs> I'm really, really sorry. I hate it. We have not done movies before simply because you couldn't find them legally. Yeah. It's very, very rare that we'll do a movie and then say, I mean, the production companies seem like they're asking you to steal it. Yep. Like, what else are you supposed to do? I don't know. I mean, maybe it's a rights issue and they, they can't put it on streaming. But what the fuck are you guys doing? It's remarkable to me how much bullshit is available for ridiculous prices. And then Shadow of the Vampire, which was a big deal when it came out. Was it? It was everywhere. I think everyone who was alive and of movie watching age in the year 2000 knows what Shadow of the Vampire is. <laughs> but anyway, yeah, it's just fucking nowhere to be found. Okay, well, I guess you're just asking me to find it some other way. 
you have to have it on DVD or Blu-ray or VHS. I think it was one of the later VHSs. So good luck. Mm. Should people watch Shadow of the Vampire? I would say yes. (laughs) But I understand why some people might not like it. Yeah, 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 yeah. You should watch it. Don't assume you're going to like it. (laughs) It's a weird movie. I I forgot just how weird it is. I didn't. It is so goddamn weird. And it's like of two minds about whether it wants to be dramatic or whether it wants to be funny. And it's just a little bit here and there. Oh, a little from column A, a little from column B. (laughs) And then the ending is so crazy and out there. (laughs) And then the whole thing fucking starts off. With, like, five minutes of us just staring at just Art Deco with hardly any music. Some moments it's just fucking silent. And, like, when is the movie going to start? <laughs> it is a weird intro. It, it, the movie is weird. It is weird. But it is very fun what they're doing with the story of Nosferatu. Yes. Malkovich's Murnau is a man possessed with the idea of making art and he speaks melodramatically constantly and he will say some weird ass shit that sounds beautiful but is ultimately meaningless just you know he'll be talking people through their scenes and stuff like that and Malkovich does an incredible job at being intense and weird and then we have Defoe playing Shrek who doesn't look exactly like him and he's a little short but he's hilarious but also terrifying <laughs> Uh, Udo Kier does a really good job as well. Eddie Izzard is in the movie, and then just they're done with him. And yeah, he so disappears halfway. He disappears through halfway through the movie. Uh, Carrie Elwes appears halfway through the movie and becomes a big figure. Yes, <laughs> very bombastic character. Yes. Great sort of over the top German accent. You know, oh, I love Carrie Elwes. <laughs> He's so much fun in this movie. It is a very interesting movie, and it is worth watching whether you end up liking it or not. I think is the key takeaway here, right? Yeah. You can take our advice or leave it. When we get back, we will talk about two thousands. Shadow of the Vampire. Director F.W. Murnau had an obsession to create the world's most realistic vampire movie. He dug up an actor. I'd like some makeup. Well, you don't get any. Who didn't just play the part. But you're not feeding. No, you're not drinking her blood. He lived it. John Malkovich. How dare you destroy my photographer! And Willem Dafoe, Shadow of the Vampire. All right, Kelsey, get us started. How does Shadow of the Vampire begin? With a lot of title cards. Yes. That uh-huh. tell us it's Berlin, 1921. The filmmaker Murnau is refused to make Dracula by Stoker's estate. So he just decides to change the name and go ahead and make the movie anyway. And state his name as one of the greatest directors of all time because of this film. Yeah, F.W. Murnau then creates the most realistic vampire film ever made and establishes himself amongst the greatest directors of all time. And it is. It's an excellent movie, so Uh I get what they're saying. We start with the cat scene where in this movie, because they're making a big deal about drugs, they have drugged the cat. Therefore, the cat does not respond to the toy that she is playing with, even though in the actual film, the cat totally does. Right. But it's it's a good place to start with the very beginning of the actual source material. Yes. Here's where you 
start the movie about it. The director is upset because he is dealing with, as he puts it, artifice. He wants to deal with real sets, which is funny because the actress... Catherine McCormick playing Greta Schroeder, who is Ellen. She tells Murnau, who, by the way, is played by... John Malkovich. I can't stand doing this. Why do we have to go away to make this film right at the height of uh, theater season? The audience is what gives me life. But that's interesting because she's not going with them to film the scenes in Transylvania. Yeah. So I don't know what this is about. But she is upset about this. But she does, though. She goes with them to the island. Yes, to the island. But that's way later. That's after Transylvania. Yeah. Yeah. Uh So I don't know what she's doing during that time. Yeah. But anyway, he tells her this role will make you a great actress considered a sacrifice for your art, which I find funny because he was just moaning and complaining about having to shoot in artifice. Yeah. Which is her problem as well. We get some questions to Murnau by the people who are making the film. The producer, the art director, the writer. They all have questions about Max Shrek, who's going to play the vampire. Yeah, there, so a few characters here. Alban Grau, the producer. Udo Kier is the actor who plays him. He was apparently very influential in the making of this and in reality designed the character of Count Orlock. Really into the occult and shit like that. Fun. Um, yes. Then there's Eddie Izzard, who is Gustav von Wagenheim, who is our Hutter. Uh, Aidan Gillett, who is Henrik Galen, who is the writer. And a character who they will constantly refer to as Wolf is Wolfgang Muller, played by Ronan Vibert. He's the cameraman. He's the cinematographer. They are all asking questions about the guy who's going to play Orlock. And Murnau won't answer any questions. And then we get a strange scene, which, like, they completely forget about and never bring up again, implying that Murnau was gay. He and, was gay. But, and then yeah. they just, that's it. Uh-huh. So why include it? I don't know. Well, I guess it's a, it's a sort of nod to the reality, but his but, sexuality isn't really the point of the, this movie. Right, I understand. My point here being... There are a lot of scenes like this that kind of feel like there was more to this movie. Yes. And then they cut things. There is one point specifically where both Kelsey and I were like, are we missing something? Mm Mm-hmm. Is this supposed to happen in this order? Like, what's going on? It was it was very weird and disjointed. It feels like the editor made some cuts that... Uh Uh-huh. Did not help the plot of and, the film. Well, and the other thing is it also makes it very confusing to understand what is going on. So even when you get what you're supposed to get out of the scene, it's a little confusing what's happening. Like when we find out later, Orlock Shrek cuts the mechanism that keeps the door open. It communicates that so poorly and yeah, in the you're right completely place completely confused about what just happened exactly in the right place it might make a little more sense right but and you yeah. don't understand it until the very end when they have to literally tell it to you i'm sure yes they, they literally say what he did yes yeah, because you did not understand what happened earlier and yes. at the time you were like what was that scene uh-huh they established shrek as a student of stanislavski which is very clever yeah, so that's what 
Eddie Izzard tells them. He's yes. like, well, Murnau told me uh-huh. that the actor is Stanislavski, is a Stanislavski student. Therefore, he completely immerses himself. And this just always drives me insane because I'm just like, did no one actually read what, the book? Yeah. <laughs> what did Stanislavski, no one actually read what he was trying to say? What Stanislavski promotes is understanding what the character would be feeling, not literally feeling what the character would be feeling. Yes, and always when you're in the theater, when you're on the stage, I don't understand where people get this concept of, no, you are that person always until the end of the production. Well, there are other schools of thought that spin off that end up, you know, becoming, like, the method, you know? Did no one read the book? I read it in high school, and I understood that that was not what he meant. I guess not. (sighs) But it should be pointed out that Murnau did not like Gustav. At least it's expressed as much in this movie, but he was also, like, not his first choice. He couldn't get the people that he wanted to play Hutter, and he was kind of just left with Gustav as, like, a third or fourth choice. So it's interesting that it's almost like what Murnau is telling Gustav, which he's sharing now, is he's just sort of dismissing him. But then Gustav is like, I have the inside track, you know? Yes, exactly. This is also where we get the line, we will only film him at night because he is so method. So who's playing Count Dracula? I mean, uh, Orlok. His name is Shrek. Max Shrek. Apparently he was in the Reinhardt Company when Mona was directing. Shrek, you sure you have the name right? He's a character actor. Who told you he was playing the vampire? Herr Doctor told me. I never heard of any Max Shrek in the Reinhardt Company. Herr Doctor told me he was with Stanislavski in Moscow. Oh dear, one of the Russian school then. As part of his preparation, he submerges his own personality into that of the character he's playing. That is why he's not traveling with us. Herr Doctor also told me so when we get there and start filming, Max Shrek will only appear to us in full makeup and costume as the vampire. And furthermore, we will only film him at night. But we know that's not true. We know in the original they filmed day for night all the time because you see their shadows fucking everywhere. You see the sky and it's bright white. We know they filmed during the daytime in reality. But in order for this to work, you kind of need to set it up that way. Yes. There was a strange, I felt, out-of-place monologue given by Murnau about the importance of film and how our memory will neither blur nor fade. That's when they're traveling there. And yeah, he will bluster on and on about what art is and what film is and what they're doing here. And he says a lot of things that sound really grandiose but don't really actually mean a whole lot. You know, that's just kind of the way they're building this character. Yes. It's very entertaining to listen to, though. It is entertaining to listen to, but it, like I said, I just, the editing felt off to me. Our battle, our struggle is to create art. Our weapon is the moving picture. Because we have the moving picture, our paintings will grow and recede. Our poetry will be shadows that lengthen and conceal. Our light will play across living faces that laugh and agonize. 
and our music will linger and finally overwhelm because it will have a context as certain as the grave. We are scientists engaged in the creation of memory. But our memory will neither blur nor fade. When they are like packing to go or whatever, they find a chalice of blood, which reminded uh-huh. me of Lost Boys. Yes, it but, looks exactly like the one from Lost Boys. But I love Eddie Izzard's, this looks like blood. Uh-huh. What could this be? And when they get to the hotel, the lighting guy, or not lighting. No, it's Wolf. It's the Wolf. cameraman. Yeah. Yeah. He immediately is not doing so well. He's the knock here. Is he? He starts getting really fucked up. He's like shivering. Gustav walks in on him at one point and can't yeah. find him. And he's just kind of shivering in a corner. And I'm like, what the fuck is going on with Wolf? But he like, it's like he's he's susceptible to the influence of the presence of the vampire. I got like the impression away. that Willem Dafoe had immediately started to drink from him. That may very well be the case. Because but we when don't Gustav see comes inside, the window is open. Yeah, uh-huh. So I got the impression that immediately he was being fed on, which is why he was not doing well Absolutely. throughout the filming of the movie. But the whatever the actual, because we don't see that, but whatever actually happened, the outcome is, is that Wolf is getting fucked up because there's a real vampire here. Yes. And he's getting emotionally and physically. So the next day they are filming the scene where the guy wakes up, Gustav wakes up. Can I point out something real quick? Because it really stands out in this scene. When we see what's being filmed, we hear the audio as if it's being recorded live. But of course, these are silent films. No audio is being recorded. But they still have it playing like it's playing on a phonograph or like really shitty audio equipment, you know? All right, Hutter, it's been a fitful night, but you wake refreshed. Eager to continue your journey to the castle of the nobleman who may very well make your fortune. Wait, Gustav. What is that beside you? Yes, pick it up. I guess it's for effect, but it, it was weird. It's all I could think about every time I heard that. I didn't notice that. Yeah. How funny. I just thought he was just giving him direction because it didn't matter because you couldn't hear it on the film. Right. No, but that's fine. But what we, the audience of Shadow of the Vampire, hear is this shitty phonograph style audio of what's happening in the scene. It's like, it was a silent film. I think we can deal with the fact that they didn't record any audio. Just put it in the standard audio that we hear all the time. But whenever we're looking through the lens of the camera as if we're seeing the final product... We get audio like that. I did not notice. Mm -hmm. But so they're filming the scene where he wakes up. Yeah. And this woman walks in and... The look on Eddie Izzard's face is so good. (laughs) And I love Malkovich's response. A native has wandered (laughs) onto my frame. Alvin, a native has wandered into my frame. He's very verbose. Yes, uh uh-huh. They will then go to where uh, they're going to meet Max Shrek. Uh-huh. They're going to just film, and he's just going to appear as Nobody if... Nobody will see him until they see him for the first time in the scene. Yeah. Yes. And they film, and Gustav is visibly shaken and scared by seeing this guy. I would say legitimately, the movie is well acted, despite the fact it being maybe a little bit 
over the top and bombastic, it is very well acted. And a moment like this is legitimately kind of creepy. And it's a little bit tense, but should be noted, it is not what we get in Nosferatu. Yeah, it's very different. It's very different. Very different. Like it's it's got the center the same general vibe where he shows up and then Count Orlock's there and then he directs him to go through this door or whatever. Yeah, like that all happens, but like the framing, the location, none of it. It's not some dark hole. They're in a brightly lit courtyard and you can see Orlock's shadow cast on the ground and like so And also they would have already filmed the scene where they came up yeah, the on the carriage. carriage, and Orlock would have been in that. And so, yeah. yeah, so they are taking liberties, Shadow of the Vampire. To make and it more realistic. Exactly, more tense, more effective, right? Yes. But it's really cool. He comes out, and everyone's terrified. And then he disappears. When they're done filming the scene, Gustav is actually scared and everybody's yeah. like praising him and he's like yes i was good, was wasn't, good I? wasn't i and i think it's udo kier or somebody goes up to murnau and is like where did you find him really and murnau says in that hole where did you find him really in that hole here yeah right here <laughs> and he's being truthful there yeah uh-huh because in the universe of Shadow of the Vampire, again, I think I already broke it to you earlier, but he really there is no question. He really is a vampire. Yes. He is 100% a real vampire. We will get confirmation of that. Yes. Uh-huh. Again, I, this is where I wrote, in this movie, Orlok looks horrifying, but they play him comedic. In the original, he often looks a little silly, but is played straight. So the next scene we're going to get to see is the contract scene where Shrek hilariously mentions that the contracts aren't right. Yeah, <laughs> I didn't quite understand what that meant. I didn't get if he was if he meant that, like, what the fuck is this? Like, these are just pictures. Or if the legal language doesn't say what you think it says. Right. Like, yeah, it doesn't matter. Confused. Both ways are hilarious. <laughs> <laughs> but they're filming this scene where where Shrek is going to see Hutter's wife for the first time. And he recognizes the actress. This is Greta Schroeder. Yes. And he, uh, yeah, and Murnau gets mad. He's like, you shouldn't know who she yes. is. Then he, say, he, he comments instead of on her beautiful neck, on her ample bosom, <laughs> or whatever it is that he says. Uh, Count, think about this. Um, what is it that inspires the most longing in you, that is most desirable and yet most unattainable? Delight. Or dishon. That is the emotion. Use it. Nosferatu, you read your papers. Ruabita. Who is this woman? This is Ellen, my wife. She has a beautiful bosom. Oh, jeez. Gustav, just snatch it back from him. Is it here or the next scene with the dinner? I don't remember which one it is, but in one of them, the lights start going. Murnau sends Wolf to deal with the lights. And when the lights go out, nobody can see anything. They come back up and Shrek is feeding on Wolf. And everyone's like, holy shit, what the <laughs> fuck? Yes, it's, yeah, and I... Poor Wolf. He, yes. I, I'm pretty sure he gets fed on a couple of times yeah. throughout this period, and nobody really figures it out yeah. <laughs> until they see it. And everybody just kind of lets it go, because I guess because he's a 
Stanislavski actor? Yeah, Method they're like, actor? oh man, that's really extreme. But I guess what we're getting is really good. Nobody assumes that he might really be a vampire, at least not yet. And somewhere in here, there are these sort of interstitial scenes where we get to see Max by himself, Willem Dafoe, or being talked to or given things by some unseen person. And it's like, oh, what's going on here? But it's just Murnau. Yeah, it's just Murnau. What, what, why the mystery? This is what we're talking about when we mention that it just sort of feels disjointed. Mm-hmm. Like it, it, it was supposed to have a lot more going on. And through circumstances, they had to remove some scenes or they couldn't film certain pickup shots or whatever it is. And what they're left with at the end is this sort of pieced together thing that feels like an accident almost. Yes, agreed. It does feel accidental. Well said. But there are really good, like, there's a lot of good stuff here. (laughs) There's a moment when they start to put makeup on Max. (laughs) And uh, Murnau is like, no, no makeup, because he likes him to look the way that he looks. And Orlok is like, I would like some makeup. (laughs) Well, you don't get me. (laughs) Well, you don't get me. (laughs) The two of them together is really great. (laughs) And during one of those scenes where I'm, yeah, he's just talking to Murnau, pretty sure. Yeah. Mm-hmm. He, Orlock explains, in my old age, I feed erratically, but there was a time when I had, like, you know, servants and I had gold chalices. Uh-huh. And it's very much like Interview with the Vampire. Yeah. You know, kind of explaining that the older you get, the less part of things you are the the more detached you become and then it's just like what are you still doing alive yeah so we're gonna get a little bit more on that too well first of all we get uh, he he recites tythonus or however you pronounce it tennyson poem which talks about you know things decaying and falling apart and all of that it's very sort of tragic just like being a vampire is and then later on Udo Kira and the writer are getting drunk and they're going to have a conversation with Max Shrek. I I do want to make sure we get one line in here where when they're all upset over what happened to Wolf, I think Murnau plays it off by saying Shrek's peculiarities are like lovemaking games. Shrek's peculiarities are like lovemaking games. You believe them when they happen, but they always stop short of anybody being seriously hurt. That's absolutely not true, though. (laughs) Yeah. What if they don't stop short? A couple of things that I'd like to mention. I was a little confused at one point when Murnau gives more direction to Hutter. And he says, okay, now look at Orlok and question, is he the one who took you up to the castle? And I'm like, hey, wait a minute. We never filmed that scene. <laughs> you didn't show that scene. And when we first in- showed him on screen, you said that was the first time we met him. Yeah. Uh-huh. As an actor. As the as the actual actor. Yeah. So, so things are not quite lining up. Uh-huh. Like we said, accidental. When he gets him to cut himself, that's when he attacks Wolf. But when he gets him to cut himself, Eddie Izzard is pissed. Yeah. He's like, what the fuck? That was really sharp. You did that on did purpose. Did you sharpen this knife? Like, yeah. Uh-huh. Implying that it wasn't Hollywood magic, or I guess German magic, <laughs> uh, <laughs> to make it look like Hutter cut himself. Yeah, it really did happen, because Murnau wanted 
realism. But yeah, this in this scene is when Orlok actually sucks Hutter's finger, which doesn't happen in Nosferatu. Right. Hutter gets away before that can happen. Your precious blood. <laughs> when we do get confirmation that it is Murnau speaking to Orlok in these scenes, at one point, Orlok tells him, I'm not going to sail. I'm not going to do any scenes on a ship with you. And the director gets pissed. He's like, how dare you speak to this to me that way? And he says to him, I am the director. And Orlok is like, please, this is hardly your picture anymore. Yeah. And this really pisses Murnau off. Uh-huh. You will stay away from my crew. I will finish my picture. <laughs> this is hardly your picture any longer. Yeah. Orlok is going to give this just crazy-ass creepy smile. So Murnau is going to really back down and be like, why didn't you say this before? You knew we were going to yes, do sailing uh-huh. scenes. And so and- he figures it out. How is he going to do it? Okay, we'll build the boat here, and we'll film these scenes here, and then you will fly to the island. But Murnau says to him, how are you going to meet Greta? Greta Schroeder is going to be on an island. Yeah. How are you going to do the scenes if you won't sail? I'll fly. I will fly in. Uh-huh. And he's like, what the fuck? That's so expensive. Uh-huh. And he's like, that's what's going to happen uh-huh. if you want this movie to happen. Uh, and he goes, fine, I'll fly you in, but you can't harm any more of my people. Because he yes. keeps saying he wants to eat all the people. I don't think we need the writer anymore. <laughs> It's like, okay, fine. You eat the rider, fine. Eat the rider. Then how do you explain how you get back to Visborg? Yeah. If you're not going to take a boat and you just ate the rider, how do you explain how you get there? (laughs) He's like, what do you, well, how do you think you're going to control any more of, like, anything that I do? And he goes, I can harm you. And he goes, tell me, how can you harm me when I don't even know how to harm you? Which is a very compelling It's a compelling line, but then later... Called out bullshit because he's afraid of sunlight. Right. It's it's interesting because I don't think that Murnau expressly lets Shrek know that he knows about the sunlight thing. Because what they film, which does not happen in Nosferatu at all, what they're going to film with Ellen is that she lets him suck her blood so she can get close enough with a stake. And then when he realizes that she has betrayed him and is going to try to kill him, he dies of a broken heart. That's what they're going to film. But secretly he knows, okay. And then I just open up the blinds and then he'll die from the sunlight. So that's how I'm going to actually kill him. But what, as, as far as what he communicates to Shrek there's a stake, and that's how he can harm him. So I think, again, a little, a little, I, I, it's questionable writing haphazard. Here. Yeah, uh-huh. mm-hmm. the com- what they communicate to the audience is not that great. It is more expressionist. <laughs> <laughs> so we we are told that a duplicate of the ship is built for the difficult star, which I wondered if that was true, but we didn't. Yeah, I don't know. Okay, he does. Kill somebody and throw them off the cliff <laughs> at one point later on. Yes. I yes. was like, oh, are they filming now? He's, oh, nope, they're not. <laughs> it's a carpenter for like 
building the set. Yeah, but they juxtapose that with him terrorizing, in the actual film, him terrorizing the people on the boat. But here he is actually killing one of the set builders. Yeah. But anyway, that, that comes a little bit later. That that comes after this scene that we I have a lot of notes about. Is this the conversation with the producer and the writer? Yes. Yeah, okay. So we have Udo Kier as Albin Grau and Aidan Gillett as Henrik Galen, the producer and writer respectively, are just getting drunk and talking. And then out of nowhere, here appears Max Schreck, Willem Dafoe. And they're talking about the Dracula book and how it compares to what they're doing. And they ask Shrek, have you ever read it? And he's like, yeah, I read it. So like, what do you think? And he explains that it made him sad. Kelsey, why did it make him sad? Because he, he didn't have any servants. Yeah. Dracula had no servants. And Alvin, uh, Alvin Grau, Udo Kier is like, I think you missed the point of the book, Count Orlok. <laughs> and Max explains. Dracula hasn't had servants in 400 years, and then a man comes to his ancestral home, and he must convince him that he, that he is like the man. He has to feed him when he himself hasn't eaten food in centuries. Can he even remember how to buy bread? How to select cheese and wine. And then he remembers the rest of it. How to prepare a meal, how to make a bed. He remembers his past glory, his armies, his retainers, and what he is reduced to. The loneliest part of the book comes when the man accidentally sees Dracula setting his table. If he had servants, he wouldn't have to do this. But he doesn't. He is alone and isolated. And he has to remember how to be human. And that is tragic. That him setting his own table when Harker realizes that, oh, Dracula is alone. There are no servants. He gets to see Dracula trying to remember what it's like to be human. And that's tragic to Shrek because he's gone through the same thing. We're going to learn that he is very, very old, old enough to have known Plato. So, yeah, it's been a long time for him, too. I think it's a strange comment. It is. I don't really understand what he means. It's very poetic, I, and it's supposed to evoke a it's, feeling. Yeah, it's more evocative than it is. Yeah. Any, but they ask him about how did you become a vampire, and he claims a couple of things. He claims, first, he doesn't remember anything, and then he drinks liquor, proving to us that he can... He can consume He something. can yeah. consume He gets drunk pretty blood. easily, too. Yes. Then later, after drinking and talking to them for a long time... He says that a woman is the reason that he was turned into a vampire. Yeah. I think there is something here that was literally taken out of the story. I agree. And he also mentions, I don't think I was ever able to make vampires. 
And so the fact that a woman made him a vampire is interesting. Is uh, it that only female vampires can create vampires? Or this is, a, you know, like Dracula is often considered to be like the head vampire. You know, like, is that what it's about? I don't know. Because, yeah, you're right. He says at first that you can't make any vampires. Well, I'm too old, I think. Or, or have I ever been able to make vampires? Like, he just, he's so old he doesn't remember. Which is very, very compelling. But there is some form of emotion there. Well, he ends up eating a bat in front of them? Yes. What What does Henrik say, the writer, say to Shrek when he does that? He, like, rips its head off and then devours its blood. And way over the top and gross and nasty and silly. Uh, when he walks away, he goes, what an actor. Dedication. Well, to Shrek, he says, Shrek... The German theater needs you. (laughs) (laughs) You're right. You're right. That's how committed you are to the method. That's when he's going to kill the guy because he's drunk. Yeah. Uh, And then uh, that the next day, Carrie Elwes is going to show up as the replacement. He is so good. A director of film or whatever, filmographer. And he is awesome. He's very, very bombastic. And Orlock hates him from the get-go. Yeah. But he's he's very he's a playboy. He's fast. He feels like he he's very confident. Uh, he's intelligent and arrogant, and he has that very sort of sort of like German accent, like this. I hadn't time to probably prepare the shot. What I should have done was film the thing in slow motion. It would have been incredibly moving. Uh, what's that, sir? Slow motion? Ah, oh, well, I run the film through the camera too fast. And when it's projected at normal speed, things appear to be unnaturally slow. Gives everything a kind of resonance. <laughs> I don't know. It's he also fought in the war, World War One, obviously on Germans Germany's side. He will talk to Orlock in their first scene that they get to film together, which is when Hutter opens the coffin. Orlock is just in there and he says, I saw dead people in the war that were more alive looking than he is, you know, and then he leans down and just talks right to him as if nothing is just he's, oh, that looks like great modelers clay or whatever on you. It looks very authentic. And then he talks about Plato's, oh, what's the term? The shadows on the wall. What is reality? The allegory of the cave or whatever it's called. They start to talk about it a little bit. This is where he says, read him. I knew him. Mm-hmm. He's like, well. It is, Orlock says, it is reality that casts the shadows. Carrie Elwes responds with something to the effect of, yeah, but for all intents and purposes, if you're chained up in this cave, that is reality to you. So they're just talking about the the cave. Of course, it's all about shadows, which is kind of a theme going on in this movie. <laughs> but Shrek does like sort of wave him off. Oh, my God, I'm so tired of this. Yeah, he is not <laughs> like him. Friedrich tells me you're something of a renaissance man. I take it you read Plato? Read him. Know him. So you agree that the illusion is the shadow on the wall? Reality is the thing in the first place. The casts the shadow. Yeah, sure, but in this instance, with some grease paint and... uh, A few bits of mortician's wax, which, by the way, is very convincing. Anything can be engineered there. Because that's the only reality. I'm tired of your sophisms. Let's get on with it. 
This is the part where he says, uh, this is hardly your picture anymore. He scares him away with his face. Yeah. Somebody figures out that he's not an actor. He is a real vampire. Henrik does, the writer. And he tries to convince everyone that, you know, he's a real vampire. <laughs> and nobody believes him. And this is when Greta Schroeder is going to show up. Yeah. And she's going to be high on morphine that night. Uh-huh. And, and more drugs. L- laughing about with her boobs hanging out. Oh, yes. And Carrie Elwes is also doing a lot of drugs uh-huh. as well. So, yeah, there's a lot of, like, drug usage going on in this and movie. eventually Murnau, we're going to see, is injecting laudanum. Yes, he's doing laudanum. That night, they're going to lock her in that room because she's high on morphine. And it's a good thing they do because... Orlock is going to show up and come after her because he's been wanting her since day one. Yes. The whole reason he was doing this. What he was promised. Yes. And Orlock is like running around trying to like open windows and stuff. And we get this random shot of Murnau high on laudanum. And when it first hits the screen, it's super out of place. Yes. And you're like, what's going on? Yes. And then we're going to eventually get this scene where we actually see what's going on with him. And it's like, what are you thinking, editor? Yeah, it's all over the place, which is very, very weird. So when we get to the point where he is high on laudanum, by the way, that was the scene we're talking about where Max Shrek, Orlock, hits the, the thing that causes the gates to open up, the windows to open up and sunlight to pour in. And he's like, ah, ah, and he like runs oh, away from the sunlight. That's what I meant when I wrote down, what was that? Orlock just opened a window? Yes. <laughs> what he's doing is he's destroying that mechanism. So it yes. won't work the next time. But all you see is just the mechanism working. And he like looks terrified. Yeah, he's like, oh shit. And he runs away. <laughs> yeah, it's so weird. It's very bizarre. And it does not communicate what I think they think it communicates. Not at all. And so anyway, we will get Murnau high on laudanum and Fritz and Fritz's Carrie Elwes and Albin, the producer, producer Udo Kier, are going to go to him and see, oh, fuck, what the fuck? What are you, what's going on? And he will admit everything to them. Yes, he's going to so tell us that he is not Max Shrek. I found him when I was doing research about the movie in that hole, yeah, like I, I was said, like location scouting, and he's like, I wanted him to be in my movie, and he's like, and Fritz asks him, "What did you offer him in return?" And he says, "Greta," and they're just like, "What the hell? Why would you do this?" And he's like, "I did it for posterity, for science. It needs to be filmed." Yeah. So uh, Henrik the writer is nowhere to be seen. He thinks that Shrek is a vampire, but nobody believed him. Right. Now we have the cameraman, Fritz, and the producer, Albin, who know the truth that he is, in fact, a vampire. And they're like, well, fuck, what do we do? And they're somehow okay with him giving up Greta? That's exactly what it is. They're like, well, I guess we film the scene. It's a bizarre decision. Well, it's all about, well, first of all, Albin, the producer, he can't back away now. He needs the movie to be made. And Fritz... Likes to think about things philosophically, but he doesn't really actually believe anything. He also wants to make art, you know, and so that's what this is all about, which is exactly what Murnau wants too, just to make art. And so they're willing to be like, well, we're in this deep. I guess we just got to film the scene. And this is so, I honestly think it's very well done. They go into this set and nobody's there. Like it's just completely empty except for Murnau, Fritz, Albin, 
and Greta. And she's like, what happened? Who died? And they're like, they don't say anything. We don't even get a look of uh, a shot of them going, "Eh, eh." you know, it's just really quiet and sort of somber. It's the scariest scene in the whole movie. It is. Because you know what's going to happen to her and they know what's going to happen to her. Yeah. And nobody cares. And it's, Uh and she knows that nobody cares. And she's the one that sees that he doesn't have a reflection Which he does explicitly in the movie. You see his reflection here in the scene in Nosferatu. And so they have to drug her up. And it's really a terrifying scene. More drugs. Yeah, more of the drugs. They drug her like they drugged the cat in the very beginning. Yes, exactly. To get the shot, to get Uh the scene. There's a great, great, great moment because Shrek comes out and he is like, oh my God, it's Greta. And he can hardly contain himself. And they're setting up the scene and she's lying on the bed and he's leaning, he's standing next to the bed. And then Fritz tries to measure like the depth of field. So he's measuring from the camera to the actors and he measures to Greta. And then he's like, for your lean-in, and for your lean-in, and then Max sort of literally leans in to the tape measure, (laughs) and it's just this wonderful moment, (laughs) but with the knowledge underlying it that this is terrible and they're going to murder this woman. Yes, and Murnau makes Shrek do the scene first. He won't let him drink from her until he's got the shot. So they do the whole scene, And then he lets him go in to kill her, and he goes to open up the thing to kill Orlok, and it doesn't work. And Orlok's like, ha-ha, I I knew you would try to do that. Yeah. And so Orlok ends up killing both Fritz and the producer, and the only reason he doesn't kill Murnau is because Murnau convinces him. He says, if... Frankly, Count, I find this composition unworkable. Could you return to your original mark, please? If it's not in frame, it doesn't exist. Which apparently is something famously that Murnau did say in real life. Apparently, uh, Hitchcock, who who loved Murnau, because again, Hitchcock got his start in the silent era as well in Europe. And uh, I guess that's one of the things he learned from him. If it's not in the frame, it doesn't exist. Which is remarkable... Because like we said, there's a lot of fucking shit this movie does not put in the frame. Uh, Yeah, And expects us to understand exists. Mm -hmm. And so he uses that to convince Shrek that they need to get this last moment on screen. Meanwhile, he's killed Fritz. He's killed Albin. There's banging on the door outside while they're acting this scene out. And then... In comes Henrik, the writer, and a bunch of the crew. They he, He's rustled them up when everyone else didn't believe him and come bursting in and kill Shrek with sunlight. Yes, he dies. And Murnau never stops recording until the very end. He ends up, he makes sure he gets, you know, Albin and Fritz and Greta. And he gets one of the crew members to do the final Yes, the the marker. Yeah. Right? And then he stops, and he says something to the effect of, I think we have it. Uh Uh-huh. And then that's the end of the movie. Anything else to say? It's a very weird movie. It's a lot of fun. There's a good. Some, there are some really good performances. Will oh, Defoe yes. is great. 
Malkovich is great. Uh, Elvis is fantastic. The acting is great. The concept is great. The movie just isn't well made. Yeah, it it's is just very not strange. well put together. Yeah, it's like they didn't know what they were doing. They wanted it to be beautiful, hence the Art Deco intro <laughs> with the weirdly silent music, the very faintly heard music for like a good five minutes or something <laughs> like that. They had grandiose ideas with what they wanted and then they just did not know how to execute it meanwhile you have all this fucking talent on screen and they're doing an incredible job being menacing being funny being ridiculous being moving real and fake whatever is needed of them at the time but it's all put together in this sort of package that's slipshod and didn't really know how to accomplish what it wanted to accomplish. So it's this ah, struggle, you know? Mm-hmm. So what do you think it has on Rotten Tomatoes? I think I know. What is it? Is it 82? It is 82. Shadow the Vampire is frightening, compelling, and funny, and features an excellent performance by Willem Dafoe. Has a Metacritic of 71. Do you think that Shadow the Vampire is overrated or underrated? Maybe just slightly overrated. I would agree. What would you give it? I'm going to give it a 78. That is exactly what I was going to give it. Like I say, there is a lot that's really compelling here. It's not just the acting. It's also the concept. You know, it a lot to enjoy. And I think if you like Nosferatu, you kind of have to watch this too. When I was pulling the Ben Mankiewicz clip for Nosferatu because obviously there are no audible trailers for Nosferatu. One of the things I took out is his comment on, oh yeah, by the way, there is a movie called Shadow of the Vampire, which is worth your time. (laughs) (laughs) Another film to check out, Shadow of the Vampire from 2000, starring John Malkovich as Nosferatu's director, F.W. Murnau, telling the story of the making of the film with a significant twist. Shadow of the Vampire asks, what if Max Schreck, the actor who played the vampire, was actually a vampire. Willem Dafoe plays Shrek, and as I said, it's well worth seeing. So, yeah, I mean, it is definitely good. It's just not as good as it could be. (laughs) Yeah, definitely not. It's very strangely made. I am so, so, so happy that this movie exists, though. Because it's so weird, and I forgot just how weird it is. (laughs) Especially the ending. So weird. (laughs) Anyway, that is our 100th anniversary of Nosferatu week. Woohoo! We did it! We did it! We got it in. <laughs> we are in the middle of moving, so I don't know. We were kind of, maybe Kelsey injured her neck. <laughs> yep. And so she's doing this with an injured neck and a cold. We yep. both kind of have a cold right now. Yep. But we're getting it in, dang it. Uh, We will be posting this in time for the 100th anniversary of the film. So that's really, really cool. What are we watching next week, Kelsey? You got to leave the room. All right, everybody. The reason Chris had to leave the room is because it is a surprise to him what we are watching next week. We are going to be watching the film Delicatessen. And the reason Chris can't know that is because the movie that we are watching with it is called Fresh, and he has absolutely no idea what Fresh is about. And if you know what Delicatessen is about, then you can probably guess what Fresh is about. If you don't know what Delicatessen is about, 
I'm going to leave it as a surprise for you as well. But if you do know what Delicatessen is about, then you know what Fresh is going to be about. Probably. Both are going to be great, guys. I haven't seen Delicatessen in a very long time, but I did see Fresh not so long ago when it was being made. Our roommate gets us into movies before they come out, so we get to see them when they're still being made, kind of. Anyway, they're both going to be great. It's going to be a great week, and Chris is in for a surprise, and I can't wait for him to see both movies, and I can't wait for you guys to see both movies. And that's what we're seeing next week. I'll go get Chris. So whatever Kelsey just told you is next week. <laughs> Until then, you can always find us on our website, podcemetery.com or on Twitter at podcemetery. There's going to be a lot of stuff that we're putting on our Twitter this week just because Nosferatu is by its very nature very visual. So make sure you check out there at Pod Cemetery. Don't forget to subscribe in your podcatcher of choice and rate and review. A five-star written review is the biggest help you can give us there, but even bigger than that is sharing us with your friends. And even bigger than that is just listening in the GD first place. Thank you all very, very much. We love each and every one of you. Until next week, I've been Chris. I've been Kelsey. And this has been Pod Cemetery. But before we go, Kelsey, any last words? Oh, the script girl. I'll eat her later. I don't wanna be buried. I don't want to live my life again. I don't want to be buried in a pet cemetery. I don't want to live my life again. I'm addicted to the sacred place. The scene of dream. Everything about Orlock is overly big. I just hurt myself. The characters on The Office <laughs> are hilarious, but do all, yeah, kind of suck. Almost all the characters on Parks and Rec are characters you can get behind. Right, that's what I'm saying. You root for them. You can't really get behind. Aziz Ansari? Yeah. No, I think even still you can. He's a dick. No, but he's he's a dick in a fun way that's very harmless. For the most part. I mean, I can't think of any specific moment that I can think of where he was terrible. But, like, when characters in The Office are dicks, they're awful. They're terrible people. It's just, it makes it harder to enjoy. Anyway. All right. Are you ready for quiet time? Now are you ready for quiet time? Yes. <laughs> All right. Old enough to have known Pluto. Not Pluto. Play-Doh. Old enough to have known Plato. If it isn't in the frame, it doesn't exist. I think we have it or something like that at the I end. I think we have it. I think we have it, yeah. Yeah.